this thing on. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's hump day. It is hump day. Oh, we've got a good one. Yep. Welcome back. Episode 17 of the Below Average Joe's UFC podcast, and it's a special episode time. Everybody's favorite episode of the week. It is. Let's be honest. And this one is a little extra special, as we say every, every week. Time. <laughs> uh, this one's for the people. This is. This or, is probably the special episode most for the people. Outside of the, the top ten fighters, I'd say. I think this one's even more so. Because it was actually requested multiple this is, times. This is facts. Um, as a thank you for your gracious support through this first uh, over a month now of us doing this podcast... We are giving you guys our top ten fights of all time in the UFC. Yes. Whew, boy was this, and this is a cumulative list. So me and Dom, we went to the lab, we broke down a lot of fights. We got to revisit a lot of old ones. A lot of that old was ones, fun. yeah, it was fun. Ultimately, we we had to order one that through was, ten. That was the worst part. The picking the fights, you know, that's a lot easier, but numbering them, mm-hmm. uh, I got gray hair. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a challenge. We had some arguments. We had some laughs, cries. Yeah, we laughed, we cried, we yelled, we did everything. But we started, here we are. And then we started yelling about Tony versus Poirier. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow that just always comes up. It's just pain. My <laughs> favorite just... NBA team just got reverse swept. Yeah, I told Dom NBA semifinals See, for the West. Game. Here's Dom's problem. Dom's problem is that. And you guys have maybe seen this in the podcast. He'll say something with so much confidence. And then on the podcast, he'll immediately backtrack. Because he recognizes that he just said something that was very, like, could go either way. And he just said, like, no, this is what's going to happen. I'd like to think the top three things I'm known for, one of them is hot takes. And when I say hot takes, they're like, well, see, put this, your hand in this on the case, stove. In this situation, this wasn't a hot take. After down. the Clippers won game four... I texted you and I said Nuggets and seven. Just to get a little rise out of you, you know. You text back and said that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Clippers winning it all in five. They got reverse sweat. Well, not reverse sweat, but basically. They were up three one. They lost three straight. Yeah. So I Anyway, like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm 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 fresh off of the loss. It's really burning. Jamal Murray had more points than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined. Anyways, <laughs> we're just—I think it's time to just get into it. Bring it in. Are you good? There's a lot of emotions <laughs> going on. Lot, I know. I know you're feeling the pain right now. Or wait, you know what? Uh, Sunday, uh, NFL kickoff. You know, we had our first week of the NFL. Oh, kind of. You just made it worse. Why? I got beaten fantasy by fifty points. <laughs> Damn. Pain. Did you, did you even try? Pain. <laughs> That's okay. I got beat by like 40, so. Wow. Shout out to fucking Nick Chubb. Let's just cut the recording. <laughs> Shout out to the Bengals. Randy Bullock missed the 31-yard field goal. I immediately went outside and shotgunned about five beers because I was in so much pain. And then I was in more pain. We've got two big bottles of wine right in front of us. I say we just chug. This is another after dark recording. Yeah, in case, really, you can, in case you can't this tell. This is really sad boy hours. <laughs> sad boy hours. 
Let's get into this Let's shit. Let's get into this shit. <laughs> UFC top ten fights of all time. We're going to start with number ten and make our way up to number one. Again, cumulative list. Make, make our way up? Make our way up. <laughs> all right. Okay. Just, it's a cumulative <laughs> list, so we both... This is one list of ten fights that we had to agree on. And we put it together... Now we're going to give it to the people. So that you, you guys, who are interested in learning more or uh, just watching good fights. Go watch them. Go watch after them. Because these are the top ten fights. There's no question about it. Right, Dom? There's, I don't think so. We had, what, 16 or 17 yeah, options? I mean, there was, there was definitely a few options that got... But, I mean, like, it's I hard, it's man. Say we're it's, happy it's with very, that. It's very hard. We're happy with that. I, I would say the so. The numbers could change, but the fights, that's yeah. pretty solid. So we're going to start... With number 10. Dun, 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 this dun. is uh, the second oldest fight on this list. Um, we're going back to December 29, 2007. Hello. At the Mandalay Bay Event Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. The co-main event of UFC 79. Chuck the Iceman Liddell. Oh, we've talked about him a few times. Going up against the axe murderer, Vanderlei Silva. Dom, I want to hear... You were the one that was a big advocate for putting this on the top ten. I was leaning more towards um, a couple fights we left off in uh, Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit, uh-huh. um, and maybe even Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, too. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts as to why this fight deserved to be on here. Now, I, and I know you've, you talked about this last week's special episode, how big Chuck Liddell was for your... Uh, yeah. Involvement with the sport, so I I, I know you're going to have something. To this say about was this. that fight. This was like that first super fight. In a way, yeah, you know, in like way it was. This this was a fight long overdue. We've kind of yeah, talked yeah. about that in some episodes where yeah. things just fell through. They yeah. weren't able, you know. Chuck went over to Pride, and then he came back, and then yeah. Vanderlei couldn't get in, and yeah. blah 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 blah. So it finally happened in December of '07. I mean, I guess sort of. I would. I don't want to say on both of their ways out, but it was just. I would have liked to have seen it a couple of years. Well, sooner, okay. You know I'll, I mean? I'll I'll give the the uh, paint the picture. short backstory here because I went in detail on this. Uh, you can if you go watch our. I believe it was in the Mount Rushmore video. I Probably. talked quite a bit about it. Uh, maybe even a different episode, but essentially, um, one of the reasons why you'll never see the UFC co-promote with another organization like Bellator or 1FC or Ryzen, whatever, outside of the fact that they're just so big that they don't need to, is the fact that back in the early 2000s, they were not the top dog of mixed martial arts. It was Pride FC. Mm-hmm. And um, Pride FC was huge over in Asia. That's where they're centered at in Japan. So um, the UFC trying to build up their audience, trying to basically get mixed martial arts more popular in the United States they look to partner with Pride so the the agreement is like Chuck Liddell will go fight in Pride in their Grand Prix which is essentially a tournament uh, to determine like the it was like open weight Grand Prix a lot of times where you would have like any fighter from any weight class in tournaments it would just be like you know those early UFC days where it was you know who's the best kind of thing mm-hmm. 
So Chuck goes over there, fights in the Grand Prix. He ends up losing to Rampage Jackson in the second round of the Grand Prix. But the agreement is supposed to be that like a guy like Vanderlei Silva comes to the UFC and fights Chuck Liddell. They even teased it. Um, they had Vandy come in the cage. Uh, I don't had know. I don't know when it was. I think it was after, it was after one of Chuck's fights. I'm assuming. And he goes, uh, I want to. He goes, I want to fuck. <laughs> I forget. He like he's trying to say, I want to fight Chuck. Yeah. And then I think he's trying to say like, fuck Chuck. Yeah. But he but ends he up. But he, his English isn't it. great, so he ends up being like, I want to fuck. I want to fight Chuck here. <laughs> fuck Chuck. Yeah. And like. So simple, right? But yet everybody goes nuts because the idea of that fight was just insane. These were two guys at the top of each. Literally, Vanderlei Silva, people don't realize it because his UFC run, while being good, was nowhere Far near. From. Yeah. That man in pride was an absolute killer. The axe murder. He yeah. murdered people. Yeah. Chuck Liddell murdering people in the UFC. It made sense. It was about two years later than it was needed, or not two years later than it was wanted, but boy, did the fight still live up to the hype, didn't it? Oh, yeah. It was crazy. And the thing is, it was only three rounds. Yeah, it was only three this rounds. This was a co-main, man. Yeah, so, it was right under, it was under uh, GSP Matt Hughes. It was Sarah Hughes. Uh, are you, wait, is that true? I mean, no, that's, it's the, that's the picture I'm looking at. Sarah? Sarah Hughes. Uh, I don't know. It's showing me GSP Hughes. Okay, well, either way. I, I don't know what's I, going on. I don't know. Someone look up UFC 79 main event. <laughs> oh, yeah, that is St. Pierre on your... My poster is completely different. Anyways. <laughs> but the results say GSP beat Matt Hughes by armbar in the second round. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> okay, either anyway, way. Matt Hughes is involved in the main event. Yes, kind of a big deal. UFC 79. This fight was a co-main. Is basically the point. Yeah. So it was only three rounds. I think that's part of the reason why it's still maybe number ten. Imagine if it went five. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of plays a big factor, and you'll yeah. kind of see that throughout the list. Uh, disregarding one fight that we'll get into way yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, but this fight lived up to the hype and more, even though it was so over to over due due. Yes, yeah. prolonged. Uh, Chuck ultimately gets the unanimous decision. I believe it was a twenty nine twenty eight. It might have even been a thirty twenty seven. Chuck came out strong in the first round. Second round was ridiculous. Like, both backing, people just, just battering each other. Yeah. Both didn't even look like the same person at the yeah. end of the second round. Chuck came out big in the third round, though, uh, and dropped Silva. Um, and that's what kind of, like, solidified the fight. Yeah. But, like, being that these guys were two fighters, kind of that first big super fight, cross-promotional, super big deal, long overdue, two superstars known globally. Right. It's hard not to... Well, you look at where they were in their career at this point, because Chuck Liddell just lost the belt at yeah. this point. He was 38. To, yeah, he had just happened. lost the belt to Rampage. Vanderlei had just made his way over to UFC. Definitely, um, I believe he had already fought in the UFC. I could be wrong on that. But you see these guys that are past their prime, but yet they go in there and it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it does not matter cuz they both looked incredible in this and they just went back and forth for all three rounds. Yes. Ultimately Chuck getting the majority of the exchanges in his favor, I would yeah. say, landing the harder shots, I Definitely guess. Definitely the bigger shots. Um, but you see kind of where their careers even went after this. Sure Vandy ended up sticking around the UFC for quite a while, 
and even went over to Bellator for a little bit. But Chuck, obviously, we after his fight, yeah. it, he had that three This fight. was probably that last part. It was like, like the last hurrah for His, his chin was like, we're done. Yeah. As soon as that fight ended, he's like, we're done. It was the last hurrah for the Iceman. It was like yeah. his, his swan song or whatever. And what a way to go out, basically. Yeah, even and, though uh, he didn't, you, know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and it was the co-main, man. Yeah. It's Imagine crazy. if that was five rounds. Yeah, that would have been nuts. Or, I mean, originally when they wanted it to happen, they both were champions, and it would have been. <laughs> yeah, that been crazy. What could have been? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall, it's a fantastic fight. I was leaning towards um, the couple others I mentioned earlier, but I, it's hard to deny it, especially I like to put things into, like, a historical aspect, as mm-hmm. you'll see later. Uh, you look at, like, like, a time capsule kind of thing. So it's, like, for the time, and this, and this fight was, like, clearly top three fights of all time when it happened. Yeah. And, uh, like, there's no question about that. And it was two of the guys that were the biggest stars of the early to mid-2000s. And they got to have that moment where they just put on a show. Facts. Nothing more. Moving on from there. Number nine. Number nine. this fight could be higher, but it's just so hard. All right, so we're going back to September 21st, 2013 in the Air Canada Center in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. The main event of that card, UFC 165. A young champion who had shown no sign of being slowed down in John Jones going up against what a lot of people thought was weak competition and a man uh, named Alexander Gustafson. He was a plus 600 underdog. Yeah, no, because really he was unproven. Yeah. Like in the buildup for the fight, I remember people made fun of the fact that they were like comparing their wingspans and stuff like that because it was like... Is that really the best you to try to act like this is going to be like legitimate competition? Overall, though, this fight ends up being probably to this day the closest John Jones has been to being beaten. I mean, we thought he lost his last two fights, and I thought he lost this one. Yeah, and uh, I still to this day think, and I've watched this fight over and over. I still think Gustafson won. It to me, it's the closest he's came to being beaten, and I don't. I don't. I'm pretty sure when I uh, was scoring it again, I did have Jones winning. So you go, well, obviously you don't think that because there was two other fights that you thought he lost. Well, I'm just looking at it. I really thought, like, even watching it this last time, I was like, man, the judges are going to give it to Gus. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's no way. And yet, obviously they didn't. Yeah. But Dom, I want you to give your thoughts on this fight. It was the five-round war of a main event. This was the first time that we ever got to see John Jones truly get tested, and did he ever. Like you said, a young up-and-comer that no one even knew of. Like, who's this dude from Sweden? Yeah. Like, he kind of put the country on the map for the UFC in a, in a way, in that region over there. And to be able to put on a show and arguably win against the group, Pound for pound, one of the top three greatest of all time, even though obviously he didn't. Like, it was insane. I thought he was literally going to win their rematch. That was obviously very decisive. Well, you know, it it's understandable. Um, there's been a lot that's come out about this fight in more recent years. You know, you see after this all the problems John Jones has ran into in his personal life and I guess really his his professional as well. I mean, he's had he's tested positive for PEDs multiple times and whatnot. Really, what's been coming out about this fight is, like, Jones kind of looked past Gus. Yeah, he did. 
I mean, I'm and pretty sure he even that. said on Rogan's podcast is where I'm getting a lot of this information. But I remember him saying that he was like, he had this. He said it in his mind it was like he was partying and stuff like the night before or, mm-hmm. the, or the couple days before, and it was like he was doing that because if he got beat, he wanted there to be like a excuse. Yeah. In his mind. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, he wasn't better to me. It's because I did this and this. Right. Yeah. He said, he, he, said he did that a yeah. lot back then. Yeah. And understandably, I mean, Jones had a ton of pressure on him back then. I mean, he was the youngest UFC champion ever. Ever. And had not looking like had not lo- looked at all vulnerable in no. any of his defenses. Like he has that point. one loss on his record, and it's not. Yeah. A loss. I mean, you see the way he takes out Shogun, like. Runs through him like he's nothing. Then you got the fight with Leoto where he gets the standing guillotine that still gives me shivers. I mean, the way he beat Rashad Evans, Rampage Jackson, just dominated. He dominated everybody. And then you have this fight, and when he was dominating guys that were established stars, and now you have a guy who's pretty unknown, relatively speaking, at the time. Yeah. And Gustafson, man, had a great game plan. The first guy to take. Didn't he take down? He was down? the first guy to ever take John down. Yeah. And he did it multiple times. Yeah. Two or three and, times. And J- Gus is not known as a wrestler. And Jones him. is an incredible wrestler. And, like, Gus has never been known for yeah. that. He's always been a stand-up technical yeah. striker. And yet, he was taking him down multiple times. I, I think what was um, what was very obvious in this fight was that Jones had not seen a guy that was able to match that kind of reach and that kind of... It was the first guy that was, like, literally the same size as him. Yeah. And you saw he had a lot of troubles kind of figuring it out, right? Yeah. Getting that... He could tell he was uncomfortable early on with the what Gustafson was doing, because he's very technical. Yeah. So, Jones, maybe not training the hardest, maybe not as prepared as he should be. He looks quite vulnerable early on, especially. Um... He does have a big comeback. I believe it's the fourth round. He lands that. Uh, he hit like a spinning back spinning elbow. Elbow yeah. that, and that pretty much turned the tides of the fight in the Jones's favor in the later rounds. But man, was it so close! Yeah. So I mean, I had Gus one, two, three, John four, five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the third round's probably the one that it's yeah, it's yeah. the deciding round. It's like, do you think it turned enough in the Jones' favor there, or was yeah. it the elbow that really yeah. started? Uh, it? This won the fight of the year in 2013. It was obviously fight of the night for that pay-per-view. There's some, there's just something to this day. It's I, I would watch this over and over. It's like such an incredible fight. It was for a title. You can't get on a bigger stage for a bigger, you know, prize. Uh, and to see John finally get tested when no one thought that anyone could even come close to him. That's what was like made this so special. What's I think. wild to me is Jones got a unanimous decision out of this, yeah. and one of the judges even gave him a forty-nine, forty-six. It's crazy. That means four rounds to one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't see how he saw that, but yeah, it was. You could tell, like when Jones was done with that fight, he was like, "Damn!" Like you <laughs> could see it when they gave announced him as the winner. He was like, "I got lucky." Yeah, I think that was one where you looked at him. He's like. Did I win this? Yeah. As they're standing there waiting for, you know, the judges. And really, man, Gustafson, like, he's probably one of the top five fighters that's never won a belt in the UFC history. Yeah. 
Because you look, he fighter. had that title fight with Daniel Cormier at UFC 192, another really close decision that Cormier got. I mean, he's always been, like, right there. You know, he had that fight. I, was, I think it was in Sweden. He headlined a fight night with Anthony Johnson, and Johnson yeah. knocked his ass yeah. out. Yeah. But um, then he has the rematch with Jones. There's a lot of controversy by that because you have the picogram thing oh yeah if i got on. moved from vegas to los angeles it's in like a week and, yeah. and um ultimately gus does not have quite the yeah, uh, yeah same level of success he had in the first one he just looked uh a little bit slower a the first bit. round he had kind of that same strategy the leg kicks keeping yeah. the distance but then john took him down and yeah. just dominated. it was just uh he looked more a little more tentative a little more slower i guess I don't know. It just it just seemed like Jones had, like, when you look at him at this time, they both looked very even. And then by this point in 2019 or whenever that fight uh, last, the second fight happened, it looked like Jones had still improved since the first one and Gus had kind of yeah. taken a step back maybe. Yeah. Um, overall, though, incredible fight in itself. And um, it, it really will be something that I feel like is – this is definitely going to be a fight I don't think gets forgotten about over time because of who was involved, especially with John Jones, who's considered obvious top three fighter of all time, probably the best all-around mixed martial artist we've ever seen. And you saw him so close to defeat. Yeah. Yeah. And now you look at what's happened to him recently. Yeah. You're like, oh, he's, he's arguably lost two more. Yeah. You know, but yeah, he's... He's up there for a reason, right? He finds the ways to win, no matter how hard the fight is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on from there, number eight. It's one of our more recent fights. This is, I think, the second most recent yep. one. On April 13th, 2019, at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh my God, what a pay-per-view. UFC 236, the co-main event. It was for the um, interim middleweight championship correct you have Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya can we just take a second and shout out Dustin and Max Holloway too yeah, by that was the, the that was who the main headliner. evented for the interim lightweight belt see people talk shit about this card going in because people don't like interim belts <laughs> these these were th- this pay-per-view was amazing <laughs> the, these two fights back to back yeah unbelievable Again, people, people don't like interim belts, so there were a lot of complaining before this card about there being two. But guess what? You have two of the best five-round fights on the same card. Yes. And this one being the better of the two and ultimately being one of the best ever. Yes. Um, imagine if this had only been three rounds. Thank God it wasn't. 2019 so, fight of the year. Yeah, go ahead. UFC 236 fight of the night. Undefeated Israel Adesanya, the stud, tough as nails, Kelvin Gastelum, toe to toe, for twenty five minutes. The first time we had ever really seen Israel get tested. He had the split decision against Marvin Vittori, but like nobody remembered it. Yeah, like it was kind of before. It was a he... close fight, but it wasn't a war. Yeah, this was a freaking war, and we got to see how tough. Both guys are, but Israel especially, because we see where he is now. Yeah. He's the champion. That clip of him going into the final round, 
where the camera zooms in and he goes, I'm willing to die. Chills. Shivers down my spine. He mumbles under his breath, I'm willing to die Mm -hmm. to win this belt. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Like, if that doesn't say enough about this fight, (laughs) unbelievable. Back and forth, again, for five straight rounds. Um, Israel, again, pulled away big, especially in that fifth. Yeah. I think he dropped Kelvin two or three times yeah, in that round. Was, the like, fifth round was it. like a 10-8. But uh, Kelvin dropped Israel early in the fight. Yeah. Like I said, there's something about seeing these guys that are undefeated or these hype trains or guys at the top of the top, and you see them get tested by guys you wouldn't think would test them, and it's so special when you get to witness that for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I I can speak for myself going into this. Um, Kelvin Gastelum is a guy who I don't think I've ever truly given him enough credit going into a fight. I constantly kind of count him out, and this fight was no different. I thought Israel was going to run through him. For Kelvin, it's always been, I feel like he's too small for middleweight. But yet he's never been able to really consistently make weight at welterweight. So right. I get why he's fighting there. But I've always been like the size factor. And I thought Israel being that guy with the kickboxing background, like I was like, okay. Well, just some metrics to put it yeah. into perspective. Israel Adesanya six foot four. Yeah. He has an eighty inch reach advantage. Right. Wait. Kelvin eighty inch reach. Or not advantage. <laughs> he has an eighty inch reach. <laughs> Kelvin Gastelum is five foot nine. Yeah. With a 71 and a half inch reach. Yeah. That's eight and a half inches. I thought there was no chance Kelvin could close that gap and get any sort of damage on Israel. But boy, did he close that gap and do it fast. Yes, he did. It was pretty much immediately you saw, really, the early rounds. I, I don't know which rounds I had for Kelvin, but man, he just, like, it was definitely the best, like, despite the fact that he lost his fight, it's probably the best we've ever seen him look. Oh, yeah, especially as of recently. Yeah, well, you know, it. it sometimes guys have It was tough. a war, man. You know what's crazy, too? He's kind of like Max. Kelvin's only 28 years old. That's crazy. That's wild. Like, he's yeah. younger than Israel by two years. <laughs> yeah, and yet it didn't seem like it. You <laughs> it's know? crazy, man. That's why it's like you have to almost measure these things in, like, fight years rather than yeah. their actual And a fight age. like this takes many years off of your fight yeah, year. Yeah, it really does, and... um I again, like you said, you had never seen Israel be tested, and really since then, you have not seen him. Like the fight with Whitaker, he was not like he knocked him out. He went through Whitaker much easier than he did uh, Gastelum. And then Yoel doesn't count as a fight. The Yoel fought the Yoel uh, spar. Yeah, shit, uh, it wasn't even a spar. (laughs) The Yoel standoff. It was like uh, shadow boxing. (laughs) The Yoel standoff, as we'll call it. Yeah, Um, he was obviously not tested there. Um, he does have a fight upcoming. With, oh, he's uh, going to get tested. Which, the funny thing is, is I kind of use this fight as my reasoning why I think Paolo's going to win. <laughs> Just because... We get to break that fight down in nine days. I, yeah. In, <laughs> I don't want to get too much into that. But, uh, again, man, like, you just saw two guys that just, you know, everybody was shitting on the interim belt. You saw two guys who wanted to be a champion. That's exactly They looked at this like this is for a belt. And that's what I love so much is, like, it doesn't matter. You can sit there and say, like, oh, they shouldn't have interim belts or they, you know, they should uh, 
they shouldn't just throw him out there if the champion just fought six months ago. Right. Whatever. You can say that like, hey, that's fair. But guess what? For these fighters, they did not care. They went out there and fought like it was a title fight. And more. Yeah. They fought for their life. Yeah, man. It kind of felt like that, right? Like when you're talking about, you know, Adesanya saying, uh, like, I'm willing to die in here. Like, someone might be like, okay, you that's a calm different da- breed. Calm down there, you know, Tom Cruise. Like, this is like, there's only a few. Like, Justin Gaethje says this. Yeah. Like, there's not many people. You got to be. But this down. fight truly felt like these guys were going at it till one guy literally wasn't ever Moving. gonna get up. Again. Yeah. Crazy. And um, ultimately, that fifth round, like to see Adesanya just that was definitely the he the, finally decisive. he finally put it all together in that fifth round. Because really, up until then, you could argue this was probably one of his lesser performances up until then because it's great i mean he looked great at times but again for his style for his reach advantage in this fight kelvin should not be able to hurt him the way not as much as he did not on the feet and yet that was where yeah that fight never went to the ground did it i well i mean outside of him getting like a takedown yeah um i don't I, i can't say i remember but um ultimately uh, this was definitely a big fight for both guys' careers. It's kind of a shame Kelvin's career has not really been the same since this. I mean, he still has plenty of time to bounce back. But then for Adesanya, this that was, was when his, he became he became the last yeah, style vendor in yeah. my eyes in a lot of ways. Like you I know, mean, he, he had for, the Brad Tavares fight. Then you have the Derek Brunson fight, and then that ultimately, I believe, that's what led him. He had the Vittori one, but well, that was again. That was before. Yeah. I'm talking like Tavares was like his first. If we're like, talking ranked people, yeah. If you're talking like a guy who's getting his due as far as like people recognizing who he is, you start with Brad Tavares, then you go Derek Brunson. Ultimately, you end up with this fight, and you see that regardless of if it was his best performance or if he fought the way he should have or whatever you can say, you saw he had the heart and the mind of a champion that night. Yes. To be able to persevere in that fifth round, just being able to keep dropping Kelvin the way he was doing. Um, incredible fight, all in all. And it was a co-main. The main Under, event and a, the main event was not a disappointment by any means. The main means. event was probably arguably the second best fight last year. I'd have to go back and look at others, but those two back-to-back, whoo! I remember watching that and just being so... <laughs> That, like we witnessed something just yeah. amazing. Yeah, agreed. Like we, I think it was at B Dubs. It was at B Dubs, and we and we left there just like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> yeah, we were just so excited. Uh, so yeah, that's our number eight. Those are the fight cards you live for, man. Yeah, as man. a fan, yeah, agreed. Whew. Okay, I just had to scream that out. Number seven, we jump into our most recent fight here. Oh, and to this point where we're recording, it is September sixteenth. 2020 this was not that long ago this is the last time that we had fans in the audience this was the last time ufc 248 march 7th 2020 probably a week before everything goes to shit in the world there was one more fight night the very next week but it was without fans in brazil right and that was it well obviously we came back well yeah three weeks what was it six Um, weeks six weeks that was when the world Changed forever. Well, we'll see when it goes back. Hopefully, at some point, we'll get back to normalcy. But yeah, it's it's 
this is the this this is gonna be a card that I feel like, despite its main event, will be remembered due to what scrap that shit. Anyways, March seventh, twenty twenty, at the T Mobile Arena, history, Paradise, Nevada. Well, Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't know why I said that. Paradise. I, that's what it said. Oh. On <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> I was like, huh? Anyways, <laughs> where uh, that at? <laughs> UFC two forty eight. Uh, another co-main event here. Uh, this should have been the main event. Oh, they put on. Let me just say, the main event of this card was Israel Adesanya, yeah. UL Romero. Yeah. Which is one of the worst title fights I've ever seen in my life. One yes. of the worst fights I've One of the worst fights I've ever seen in my life. And the co-main events are number seven fight of one all One of the time. best fights I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> For like, the, on my personal list, this is higher. But this is a cumulative. I have this whoa, poster whoa. on my wall. Whoa, why are you... You don't have to throw it at me. I said it's cumulative. We had to make a list together. You're like on my personal list is higher. But oh, it Noah, is. But Noah wanted to put it, it This lower. is top five. For Anyways, me. for the women's strawweight title, you have the champ in her first title defense, Weili Zhang, going up against Badam. The queen. The queen. Joanna Yemjengchik. Weili said, I'm the captain now. <laughs> Go ahead and tell him. This is the greatest women's mixed martial arts fight to ever exist. It's not even close. It's not even close. It's one of the best It is fights. one of the best fights in the history of mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. I have a poster of it. Yes, you do. With a scroll <laughs> dedicated to the fight. Yes, you do. This fight was so special. I don't know, like... Women in the MMA, right? We went in this when we talked about Ronda on the Mount Rushmore. Like Dana said, all they'll never be in the UFC. And seven years later, these women put on an all-time instant classic from start to finish. Like when I say back and forth for 25 minutes, there's no other way to even describe it. Joanna's head blew up like balloons. Balloon. Ba-ba balloon. <laughs> what do you say? Mushmouth. <laughs> Fat Albert. If you know, you know. Listen. She didn't look like the same person. Crazy. Now, her head just kind of swells up bad in fights, but this was bad. Dude, that was... She, that wasn't just some swelling, bro. <laughs> she was... had two foreheads. <laughs> I'm not even... It sounds mean. Like, I'm not even making fun of her. This shit. Well, what's crazy is she recovered relatively fast. Yeah, from it that. went. I remember. Um, funny enough, I did not watch this live. This, you didn't? No. I know. Isn't that crazy? Carry on. Okay. Um. Ultimately, I saw the picture of her head before I watched the fight, and I went, "Dear God." <laughs> Brutal. What did they do to my woman? It was... This fight is just leaves me utterly speechless for the most part. I can't just go into more detail than other than the fact that it was just absolutely amazing. You, you, you don't see women's fights like this. No, you don't. Like, you don't see men's fights like this. <laughs> like, it... This is amazing. Uh, utterly astonishing. One of the best fights I've ever seen in my life. That will never change. So special. The fact that it was the last pay-per-view with fans in the stands. Not one person in that arena was sitting down. Everyone gave them their due. And recognized 
what they were all a part of witnessing. See, and the fact that that was the last pay per view with fans this year. Obviously, there'll be fans again. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, it's but okay. like so historical and special. Well, uh, this is what's funny is we have the, we both share the same hot take of we think that the fights have been better without fans. But then you have a fight like that. If you don't have the the fans in the audience, like man, what a waste. Not really, but you know, you know yeah, what I mean. I like you want to, you love to have like just the people just feeding the fighters. Well, that like energy. the closest comparison for twenty twenty, if we're talking an event with fans and without, this fight had fans, and then the second best fight of the year, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, no fans. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of just kind of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, you you also need to look at like where both these fighters were at the time, and really, I mean, it's kind of where they still are, but at the time. Whaley had won the belt in August. The first ever Chinese champion in the UFC. Yes. <laughs> in August of 2019, Whaley wins the belt. In China. At like 4 in the morning our time. So I didn't get to see it live. From Jessica Andrade, who a lot of people had pegged to be like a paper champ in a way because... She was dominated by Rose in their title fight, but then she, she gets kind of a lucky slam that knocks Rose unconscious. I don't want to say lucky. I mean, it took a lot of power to do it, but you get my point. But a lot of people didn't think Jessica was really champion material. So then Whaley beats her in less than a minute. Starts. Very convincingly, obviously. <laughs> that was masterful um so but then you have to wonder after this okay is she really a champion so now she's going up against who to this day is the best women's strawweight we've ever seen six title defenses yeah and she proved that she is championship material and on the other end you have joanna who man after her title run she gets beat by rose in a huge upset at uh Madison Square. Uh, it was Madison, it was Madison Square Garden. Two seventeen. Yeah, UFC two seventeen. Then she loses an immediate rematch by decision. That was close, a great fight. Great fight, close fight, but ultimately Rose clearly won. Then you know she has like a fight with. Uh, I remember she fought on a fight night uh, against. Well, was Shevchenko Tisha, next? No, she fought Tisha Torres as like a co-main on a fight night. Uh, beat her pretty easily. She ends up getting a title fight with Valentina. That fight. What an exciting, like, yeah. going into that. That's an exciting ass yeah, fight. Yeah. Uh, like, that's that, a super That was fight. at flyweight, yeah. too. Yeah, she was going up. Um, Valentina wins that. So you see, like, for a lot of people, Joanna has kind of been, she's not what she used to be to the casual, I don't want to say to the casual fan. I mean, she's been losing more, more often, but... You know, a lot of people were thinking that she's lost a step. Well, it's she been pro- like a year since she fought. Oh, I'm, okay, I just sounded like an idiot. I was thinking of Michelle Watterson fight last year. Oh, she won okay. that to get the title shot yeah. again. Sorry. Um, she proved that, like, she's still the top of the heap. Oh. I mean, she arguably won that fight with Whaley. I don't think so, no. but it was very debatable. Like you could definitely make an argument. Was that a unanimous for Whaley? A unanimous 3-2? It was split. It was split. Yeah. So one judge had Joanna win. Yeah. And arguably, Joanna, you could argue that. I had Whaley, but again, the fact that she was able to hang in there and look at how her head looked afterwards, 
you don't get your head looking like that without taking some like you were hurting. I'd love to see the stats on that fight strikes. Yeah, I mean, and you to your point about like, I don't want to sit here and sound like some douchey guy talking about women's fighting, but you just don't see what like you don't see a lot of women's fights like this. You know, outside of the really the top women of the sport, when you're talking about Amanda Nunes, Valentina Shevchenko, um, maybe even Holly Holm to a lesser extent. But, like, like even still, they're not 25-minute wars. So. No, like, they're really not for the most part. And, I mean, um, this one, though, was just... it. Like, the fact that you saw the amount of damage these two women could take and the amount that they could dish out for 25 minutes, it showed a lot. It showed quite a bit for you know, the male viewer, the, the male dominated viewership that the UFC has, um, for them to be able to see women able to dish it and take it at, at least as well, if not better than the men can most of the time is, uh, definitely a positive if I've ever heard one. And for anyone that just recently listened to our most recent episode, the recap of UFC Vegas 10, Take that amazing 25-minute main event between Watterson and uh, Angela Hill. Mm-hmm. How great was that fight? Right. Times it by 10. Yeah. Yeah. That That's really... No, I mean, it, was, it was truly an incredible fight. And um, until we see, like, let's say we don't get fans for a long time, like longer than even I'm thinking, um, this fight will probably continue to become more historical than it already is. So that's our number seven. I'm already, I'm struggling here, man. I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm losing my breath here. We're, we're not even in the top five yet. We're close. We are. One more. Number six. January first, two thousand eleven. Going back a little bit. At the MGM Grand, in Las Vegas, Nevada. My oh my. UFC one twenty five. The main event of the evening, a rematch between Frankie Edgar and Gray Maynard. Now, um, this fight was for the lightweight championship, 155-pound belt. These two had fought like two, like th- two or three years before this fight in a on a fight night, I think, or a very low-profile fight. Gray Maynard got a pretty uh, unremarkable decision, I would say. But boy, that fight <laughs> now, like, once this one happens, it's like, damn, like, okay, that fight was bigger than people thought at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this one on to become a trilogy. Yeah, because this is the second. Yeah. <clears throat> and why this fight is so high for me is it's a lot different than most of these fights. This is not a just constant back and forth. It's not like oh like one guy did he did he win that round or did he win this round? It's pretty clear who's winning these rounds. This is top 5 top 3 comeback of all time. Oh, even I think though it didn't I, even end in a I, freaking win. Literally, I think uh This fight was a draw. I think you only put it at number 2 behind Silva. Silva Sonnen, yeah. Only because he didn't ultimately get the win. Right, here. I agree. But um first round essentially Gray Maynard nicknamed the bully. Uh he bullied Frank Frankie. It Edgar. wasn't even competitive. I'm telling you that round could have been a 10-7. Was it a 10-8 though? 
I think so. I wonder. Yeah, what, that's why. Just it, because that's a that's how it was a draw, draw then. Yeah, yeah. So, if we're talking days when you don't, we didn't get ten eights that often in no, two thousand eleven. No, you know what I mean. Gray Maynard dropped Frankie Edgar, I believe, three times. I think it was three times. That's bad. And that's bad. All three of them looked like it could have been done. Yeah. That fight could have been stopped. You know Gray was in his head just like, what do I got to do? Yeah. What do I have to do? And he he's right for asking because <laughs> ultimately second round, more the same. Um, I don't believe Frankie gets dropped. He might have. But it's not as bad of a round for Frankie, but Gray is still putting it on him. Yeah. And then you got rounds three, four, and five where Frankie comes back. Michael Scott would say, my, how the turntables. My, how the turntables. And, man, did he come back in a big way. Somehow able to recover. Gray starting to slow down, tire out. Something that kind of haunted him for a while. And, ultimately, if you look at the judges' scorecards here, they were 47-47 on, I want to say, or, sorry, it was a... Uh, no, I'm wrong on that. Okay, it was 47-47 on one scorecard. And then you had 46-48 on another one and 48-46 on another. Which, wow, what a yeah. <laughs> trio of scorecards there. So, um, point being that two of the three judges thought that Frankie won three of the five rounds. I think is what I'm trying to say there. I think so. I look like that gift. I know. I'm like trying to, tell, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, anyways, <laughs> it was the draw. fact that he was able to come back in such a big way. That's he, what puts this fight so high because it really was a champion level performance. Frankie went into his corner going into round three, and they gave him a bottle of Michael's secret stuff because he came out and looked like he had not been even touched with one punch. Yeah, he ultimately dominated the remainder of the fight. Uh, dominated might uh, considering what Stronger. you saw. Considering what you saw the first two rounds, oh, yeah. that's what I call a domination. Yeah, yeah. Three, four, five though was so competitive. Like it was so much. Uh, what's the word? There, there is a word for that. It's uh, controlled. I think controlled is probably like it was just he was so composed. Like those, you knew because you saw the first round especially. Frankie was flopping around in there like a fish, man. Like a fish just fell on a boat. Like, he was just, like, falling all over the place. He was hopping around, fucking doing a bunch of, like, getting hit, flipping on his head and shit. Like, my man was being thrown around the I'm looking at, I'm envisioning Fred Flintstone's feet when he gets the fucking car going. Why are you imagining that? Because he's just trying to get up, and I don't know, man. <gasps> Anyways. Oh, man. So then, after those two rounds, for Frankie to come back and look so composed when in the first two rounds, he definitely looked like uh, a prey. He looked like prey. Yeah. And um, on Grayens, man, that's got to be one of the most heart-wrenching uh, defeats for any fighter has ever taken. Or not defeat, but heart-wrenching. He was undefeated at the time. Yeah. 10-0 at that fight, and Frankie was 14-1. and That had to be heartbreaking for him. Frankie Edgar's only loss before that was Gray Maynard. Yeah. So and then Frankie ends up winning. The well, I guess fight. he didn't win the trilogy. Nobody won the trilogy. Yeah, I mean, it was a, yeah, it was a top. Where's the fourth one? <laughs> well, we need the fourth. It ain't gonna happen now. Damn. Uh, Frankie ends up winning the third fight. Uh, I believe first round. I think it was a first round knockout, 
or TKO. I don't know. Anyway, My you, mind's just blown that no one actually ever won that trilogy. They went one, was, one, and one. Yeah, I mean, it's... Wow. Yeah, I, I, I knew that, but... That would have been the first ever quadruple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, are you okay? It's late. I Okay, yeah, I know, that's my fault, but... I'm just gonna, saying. I the wish first, there was a decisive winner the of the trilogy. first quadruple. Well, like... Steep DC. there was a winner of the trilogy, so on and so forth. Dude, I don't think they call a four-fight series uh, quadruple. I don't know what it's called. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyways. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this fight? I mean, it's truly just... If you're looking at like guys that are able to come back on the edge of defeat and put on just a hell of a show, meanwhile winning rounds after being so close to defeat, like it, it really showed a lot about Frankie Edgar as champion um, when a lot of people didn't think he was going to hold on to the belt for that long. That's why he never got finished for so long. He never got finished till 2018 or something like yeah, that against Ortega. Ortega. So like, crazy, dude. Yeah, uh, that's number six. Here we go. Number five, the top five, man. Oof. This fight's very special to us, isn't it? It is. It's the first card we ever watched at B-Dubs. Back as spunky young young freshman. Fresh freshman. <laughs> yeah. This was like a week this later. <laughs> the first week, basically, uh, when we came to college. August 20th, 2016, T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas, Nevada, as is most of these. At the time, the highest-selling pay-per-view in UFC is. And who headlined that card? Nate the Notorious. Are you, are you good? I thought we were going to do the red corner first. Okay. Oh, I guess Diaz was red corner. It's, it's showing his name first. Yeah. Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor 2. Dom. Is this one of the most hyped-up rematches we've ever seen? Oh, Definitely. Probably the the most hyped up because if you just think about the casual fans and whatnot, like there's, it doesn't come close. Let's be honest. Nate Diaz shocked the world in the first fight. He shocked, and he was not surprised about it. No, far from. Far from. He knew it was coming. Yep. What a fight! I remember we were sitting there that night, and we literally were like, "That's got to be the best or one of the best fights we've ever seen in our life." I remember sitting in the booth, leaving, and we're like, wow, this is unbelievable. War, back and forth, five rounds. Nick Connor had his moments. Nate had some really big moments. And then Connor has more big moments to solidify the win for him. Yeah, that's kind of, that's a great way of putting it. Really, rounds one and two, Connor. Drop Nate? Drop Nate. Two times, I think. Maybe. Um, Not in the same round, but he dropped him Connor easily wins rounds one and two. You see the power, the precision in his punches. Uh, They have a big effect on Nate Diaz early on. Cuts him quite a bit. Not that that's new. But rounds three and four, you see once again, kind of what you saw in that first fight they had, Connor slows down. Yep. He's... It's always been something that's been a knock on him in his career, his yep. inability to kind of go with the five-rounders, you know? Yep. But uh, Or his stamina, whatever you want to call it. But uh, his gas tank. Uh, he looks tired. 
Oh, yeah. And Nate starts smacking him around, oh, starts you... putting him up against the cage, starts really wearing him down. The clinch here. work was brutal. Yeah, the clinch Big work. body shot. That was really what this fight was. It was Connor with the precision and power and the punches versus Nate trying to grind out that, that dirty boxing yeah. that him and Nick are so good at. And rounds three and four is when you saw him having the most success. Round five, back and forth. I mean, it... Connor, I will say, because he's known for tiring out, gassed against Habib and yeah. all, you know, all of this. But when Connor came out in that fifth and looked rejuvenated, it really kind of was like, oh, he he can he can dig deep. He yeah. can pull this yeah. out. Yeah, because that's kind of been his knock was like that yeah. people thought maybe he was like, he kind of welted under pressure or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of a dumb thing to say when you think about the amount of pressure that guy's oh, been under in his career. There's probably been no other person with more pressure yeah. ever. Than him. But I get what they're saying, where it's like when he when he's like hurt, when he's tired, can he dig deep and push through like a champion? Yeah. And this fight really proved that for him, and it proved a lot for Nate. It proved that it wasn't just a fluke, that he's really that damn good. Oh yeah, man. Because I mean, you could argue that this fight should have been a draw, or that Nate should have won. Um, I remember in that beat-ups, again, I've always been more of a Nate Diaz guy. Not that I hate Conor McGregor, but just, you know, I've, I've always liked the Stockton boys. I, th- I think they're fun. But um, I remember in that beat-ups, I thought it was a draw. Yeah, I think I don't think I could say a winner. I but don't think I when could I watched either. it back, I thought Conor won the fight. It was a little more clear to me. Now, I mean... You saw for Connor, this was, again, this is his immediate rematch after that shocking loss at 196 against Nate Diaz. A fight that he got submitted in the second round. And then for after him dominating to, the first round. Yeah. And then for him to come back here and, you know, again, a lot of pressure on him. He's headlining a card against a guy he just lost to six months before. And they're like, all right, go prove that you're actually better than him. Again, he he had the the rocket attached to his back. It was starting to, the gas was starting to run low. It's like, are we going to keep? Is he really going to be the biggest star the sport's ever seen, or is this fight? Because this fight, if he loses this fight, I mean, I'm not saying it like it would like he wouldn't have went to the heights he did. I mean, he seemed like he was already pretty much there by this point. But again, like if he doesn't win this fight, does the fight with Floyd Mayweather happen? Does the does the fight with Eddie Alvarez happen? Does the fight with Habib ever happen? No. I'm it completely say no. shakes up the landscape. I mean, you're likely you might be looking at Nate Diaz versus Eddie Alvarez. Like, there's these levels to Conor McGregor's superstardom, right? Yeah, he beats Mendez. Right, huge. Yeah, superstar at that point, superstar. Starch is auto in 13 seconds. Yep, global phenomenon. The world is yours, kid. Yeah, loses and chooses to get the rematch. Up a weight class because he wanted to run it back at the same exact weight class, same rule set. This was at 170, by the way, for anybody who didn't know. Yeah. Neither of their natural weight class. Connor was at the time the 145 pound champion and was looking to double champ at 155. Yes, he was scheduled to fight for the 155 pound belt. Rafael Dos Anjos. And then Nate stepped in on short notice because RDA got hurt. Still a fight I wish we could have seen, by the way, Connor and RDA, but I digress. So Connor loses. Everybody's like, like I picture the uh, the dude in the uh, front row when the Undertaker lost at WrestleMania for the first time. That was <laughs> yeah. everybody's face when Connor lost. Yeah, that was the MMA equivalent. He had looked unbeatable, especially once you come off that Aldo win. Like, 
come on, man. Aldo hadn't been beaten in a decade, and he gets beaten 13 seconds. Are you serious? So for him to come back, again, highest pay-per-view buy rate at the time. It's not anymore. It is another Connor fight, but, you know. <laughs> um, when he won this, yeah. Three months later, he's fighting for the lightweight belt. Madison in the Square best Garden performance of his career. Against Eddie Alvarez. Then he has the world tour with Floyd Mayweather. And then the Habib fight. I mean, like I just said, if he doesn't pull through in this one, none of that may ever happen. I mean, maybe it does still happen because of how big of a star he was at this point. But I don't know if it does. It doesn't happen as quickly. I can yeah, tell you not that. to the level. It's hard it to sell him against Eddie if he loses this fight again. And it's one to one. Yeah, that's that's something I was going to say. I'm still disappointed, and maybe we still get that fight, but I'm still disappointed we never saw a third one. I remember when when I watched it, Connor, I watched the post, uh, not post-fight, sorry. Well, yeah, the the interview, post-fight interview with, uh, you know, Joe Rogan in the cage with Connor. Connor said, like, he'll rematch him, but he needs to come down to 155. The trilogy needs to be settled at 155. Both of their natural weight classes. Right. Wow. What a show it, it would be. I hope we get to see it one day. It's crazy we haven't. Really, I, you I really about, can't. You think about the money involved in that? The fact that it hasn't is such a shock to me. Now I know Eddie Alvarez's fight happens. That's huge. Him getting that second belt. Floyd Mayweather fight happens. That's bigger than MMA. That's combat sports in general that, you're talking yeah. about. You're talking about a worldwide just like uh, a worldwide event and then obviously he wants the Habib fight and then after the Habib fight he has to he has the fight with Cowboy it's kind of been a weird yeah last few years for Connor but man like Nate Diaz is fighting again like now it's looking like it's going to be him versus Masvidal to start off 2021 maybe we get that fight in 2021 I don't know I, I start I don't know if that fight ever happens again. They still talk shit to each other all the time. Well, with Nick saying he wants to return now, Connor tweeted he's like, "Line him up." Yeah, he just wants that, to fight both of them. That would be that would be cool. But um yeah, I overall can't say enough good things about this fight and the fact that it wasn't a title fight. There was no title fight on here and it still broke the record for the most pay-per-view buys at that time. That just speaks to the power of this rivalry and for Conor McGregor in general. Yeah. And it was a, I mean, it's the best fight of his career. And long overdue respect for Nate. Yeah, that's, and I, I love that, like, it proved that Nate is legit. Like, it, you know. Don't people, let his record fool you. Yeah, like, sure, the guy's taken his licks in the UFC. He's taken his losses. He's, I mean, he's still, he just lost to Masvidal in his last fight, but. That guy is legit. He's and as game he's a as legend. they come. He's a legend in the sport. Yeah. And I'm glad that now people give him the respect he deserves. So that's number five. Number four. Well, I love how we both just did a deep sigh there. Number four. <laughs> November 19th, 2011. At the HP Pavilion in San Jose, California. This was the first UFC event in San Jose. Fun fact. Yeah, nice. Before that, San Jose was the uh, base. That that area was the base for Strike Force. 
So it was the first UFC event in San Jose. You get UFC 139, headlined by Mauricio Shogun Hua and Dan Henderson. Another. Now, I want to say you were a huge advocate for this being this high. And going into it, before we kind of went back and watched it again, I was like, ah, like, I remember it being a great fight, but is it really, like, over Nate Connor and, like, Edgar Maynard? Like, is it really that? Like, is it number four? Uh, yeah, it's number four. Uh, so I want you to talk about it, though. This reminds me of Chuck Vanderlei in terms of the, uh, how do I want to put it? Like, the stakes, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, neither of these guys were champion, if I'm not mistaken, at the time, right? This was just nope. a five-round, straight-up main yep. event. Yep. Both of these guys... We're former champions in Pride, UFC, and Strike Force. Both. That's insane yeah. that these two got to fight each other. Um, two legends. A fight that was long overdue, probably too. I, it's shocking to me that that fight had never been scheduled in any of these organizations prior. This, of course, led to an eventual rematch as well. But this is the first fight between Shogun and Dan Henderson. Back and forth. Both fighters multiple, multiple times could have finished the fight. Like, you look at some of the clips, and you're like, damn, they really let these guys go. Yeah, like, refs do. could easily have stopped that fight for both dudes. Yeah, especially round one, I believe, is when, um, I believe, Shogun hurt. Who uh, dominated the first and, round. Um, that first round, that fight, could have, it could have easily been stopped. Oh, yeah. Thank God it didn't. And then, like... Henderson was doing this at the time, 41 years old. Yeah. 41. It's insane. And uh, who was still, like, in his prime, arguably, 29. This was before he even became UFC champ, right? No, it was Or was it after he lost to John? He lost to John, then he had a win and a rematch with Forrest Griffin, and then this fight. And then this fight? Yeah. Okay. So, like... All that happening in one year. (laughs) Yeah, like he, he had did lost... those three fights in one year. Well, okay, the yeah, yeah, March nineteenth, twenty eleven, when he lost the belt. Then August twenty seventh, he beats Forrest Griffin, and then November nineteenth, he loses to, ultimately loses this fight with Dan Henderson. What a brutal calendar! <laughs> wow, shout out to Shogun, man. These guys are just two legends. This was fight of the year in two thousand eleven. It was fight of the night, obviously. Uh, for that pay-per-view. What was this pay-per-view number? 139? Yeah. Uh, absolutely unreal. And the fact that uh, Henderson won, I because I feel that Hua got the better of it. More uh, injuries. Like, I don't know. I feel like Henderson was hurt worse. Okay. Uh, more. Mm-hmm. They were both obviously hurt tons. Right. Um, and this again just shows like that championship heart. The fact that people will go out there willing to put it all on the line, and there's not even a belt up for grabs, like that just shows toughness mentally, especially. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing with MMA is like how mentally tough all of these people are, mm-hmm. uh, top to bottom. Um, and this fight's really just special, and it reminds me a lot of that Chuck Vanderlei kind of storyline, the yeah. cross promotional and all that fun stuff. Even though at the time both these guys are obviously in the UFC, 
they both had such storied careers throughout all of these organizations. And it was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. They're going to clash. Somebody's got to win. Um, when you look at where they were at the time, again, you kind of mentioned Shogun was 29, I believe, mm-hmm. or 28, one of the two. So, like, you would say, well, he's still in his prime. That guy had been fighting for a, had had some wars, had been fighting for a long yeah, time. Yeah, dude, that's like a dude that's been fighting since he was, like, 18. He had just lost to John Jones, wins his next fight with Forrest Griffin convincingly, kind of overcomes that defeat he had early on in his UFC run. Um, then he has this fight with Dan Henderson. Um, Dan, on the other hand, this was his first fight back in the UFC after a uh, four-fight run in Strike Force. Um, his his fight before this one was a TKO win over Fedor, actually. In, in Strike Force, yeah. wow. So he had won, um, leading up to this fight, he had won three straight. He's 41 at the time. Both these guys are essentially, when you're saying, like, how do you guys? How do these guys like not like to go all out like this when it's not for a belt? Well, in a lot of ways, this fight was going to determine who was getting the next title shot. And both guys kind of, I think, knew that a, at least a part of them, kind of, especially for Henderson, that if they don't win, they may never reach that height again. So Henderson ends up ultimately getting the unanimous decision win. He scheduled the fight, John Jones, and that's when you have the first ever canceled UFC event, UFC 151, um, I think is what it was, where uh, John Jones or Henderson has to pull out a couple weeks before the event. Uh, the rest of the main card is not very stacked, so there's not a viable main event. They try to book John Jones and Chael Sonnen. Uh, Greg Jackson advises John to not take the fight. And uh, that's when Dana goes on a big media tangent calling Greg Jackson a fucking sport killer and stuff like that. First ever time a card got canceled, Dan Henderson ultimately doesn't get that title fight. But when you look at where they were at the time, it was like they have to go all out here because they're both almost like fighting for their career longevity, I guess. And ultimately, I guess, I mean, Shogun was the much younger guy, so you would think otherwise for him. But, I mean, he he had had wars, man. I mean, sure, he won the belt. And, um, like, obviously winning that belt and beating a guy like Leota Machida arguably twice. Uh, I, yeah, wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't even say arguably, yeah, but I agree. he ultimately loses, in quotations, the first one. His early UFC run was very disappointing. You know, he came in with a lot of hype because of his run in Pride. He has some really just disappointing fights, like he loses to Forrest Griffin. Um, he has a he wins against Mark Coleman, but it's a great fight. But it's just such a bad look for Hua to be in such a competitive fight with a guy who's deflated and years older than him at this point. So. Overall, for him to win the belt, like, sure, it was great. And then he gets starched by John Jones. So he was in a weird spot here, right? Like, sure, he had won the belt. But you look at his before and then at where he's at at this point, it's like, okay, there's some disappointment there, right? So he was in a lot of ways fighting to keep his career afloat. And the same for Dan Henderson. And these guys did not disappoint. And they, like, they left it all out there. Little did we know, 
five years after this, at the age of 46, Dan Henderson would fight for the middleweight title. And yeah. Hua is still going strong today. Yeah, he really Nine is. Nine years later. Yeah, he just fought on He just the, won. Yeah, he just beat uh, Noguera. On yeah, the, that was a trilogy, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, that was a fight on the Till uh, Whitaker card. Yeah, it's just these again two absolute legends. Yeah, and there's something about like because you look at some of these fights on our top ten, they're not all legends, but this one legendary, like two legendary fighters that will always be remembered and thought of in the sport of MMA as a whole, not just the UFC, and we got to see them fight. Yeah, and, you don't uh, get that. Yeah, you really don't. And the fact that this wasn't, you know, this was back kind of before the UFC was doing fight nights like every week. So you would have more, there would be times where there would be pay-per-views without a title fight on it. And obviously we look at those now and we're just like, oh, like that was a main event. But this fight <laughs> blew it all out of the water. Like I'm sure there were people on the, the forums back then, the chat rooms. Mm-hmm talking some shit leading up about there not being a title fight here and these guys said hold my beer we're Precisely. gonna give y'all a show yeah i uh, love both these guys and the fact that really neither of them were negatively affected by this fight like afterwards because they they went for quite a bit longer yeah. and had great careers ahead of them so yeah. um ultimately like they all left it out there and they were able to prosper because of it so that's number four. We're in the top three. Whew, and I'm so excited to talk about this next one. I am so excited. I'm just going to be honest. This is my personal favorite fight of all time. Can I put it at number one on our like best fight of all time list? No. Because ultimately like these two fights ahead of it are much more um, significant historically. But this fight happens as the third fight of the main card. Look at that main event. On October 19, 2013 at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Headlined by Cain Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos 3. Another trilogy, baby. The co-main being Daniel Cormier beating Roy Nelson. No shit. At heavyweight. Yeah. Wow. Was it really the co-main? Yeah. Wow. That's actually awesome. Um, his second fight in the UFC. I that is such a fun fact. Yeah, he I had beat he had beat Frank Mir on a Fox card. Wow, that's so cool too. Because him and Kane are like yeah. best friends, training partners, yeah. and co-mained and main yep. evented. That's awesome. Um, so then this fight, you have Gilbert Melendez versus Diego Sanchez. Now, when we first started putting this list together, you did not remember this fight. I had to go back. I had to do some digging. And when I showed you it, you said, put it on there. Yeah. It was the first fight that we confirmed would be on the top ten. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because you were like, damn. (laughs) And Um, again, this is a three-rounder. This is a three-rounder. And, man, I just... Okay, I got to try to, like... Uh, visualize or give you guys a visual for what this fight was like, okay? So, obviously, Diego Sanchez, the OG Ultimate Fighter winner. Nightmare. A guy who is still fighting to this day. An absolute savage of a human being. 
going up against Gilbert Melendez, who had looked incredible over in Strike Force. And I believe this was his. Uh, let me go back and look here. I believe this was one of his. This Probably. was his second fight in the yeah. UFC. He was as well. twenty-one and three. At he the had time. lost uh, to Benson Henderson in a split decision in their in his first fight in the company. Um, but he had been a great champion over in Strike Force, so this a lot of hype here, right? He was a minus five fifty favorite. Yeah, that's a lot. The if eight, you're a betting person, yeah, it's a big favorite. And for much of the fight, it looked like there was good reason for that. Basically, these three, these two guys just had a brawl. You have Gilbert Melendez. Trying to stay composed, trying to stay technical, stick to a game plan. And you have Diego Sanchez who says, fuck that. I'm going to just throw some crazy head kick with a left hand behind it. And it may not be the most technical looking strikes, but one of them's going to land. When I throw a bunch of crazy shit, something's going to land. Oh, and did they ever. Yeah. Um, so that's what much of the first two rounds is. It's these two guys going back and forth. You have... Diego trying to make it as ugly as possible. Gilbert just trying to stay composed. Stick to the game plan. Don't fuck this up. Good luck with that anytime you fight Diego Sanchez. Round three, much of the same. Diego lands with an uppercut from hell that knocks Gilbert on his ass. Takes his back. So close to finishing that fight. And that's when Gilbert's like, ah, oh, shit. He made it ugly. And they, it, it, like, it, that's what it is. For 15 minutes, it is just, you see these two guys trying so hard to make the fight their cup of tea. Gilbert trying to stick to the game plan, be technical. Diego trying to make it ugly. And... It's a beautiful fight. It's, beautiful it's, chaos. It's so it's such a beautiful chaos. I gushed about this fight. I showed it to my dad, and my dad was like going nuts. Um, I I can't say enough about it. Gilbert gets the unanimous decision win, rightfully so. But that Diego comeback, I mean, you and I think what even helps it is uh, moments in the fight. You just see Diego get so hyped up. Oh, and he yeah. starts like beating his chest, and he's like, "Come on, come on, come on!" Come on. And, and, you, and you could tell like Gilbert's like, "I kind of want to, but I I can't. I need to stick to the game plan, but but I kind of want to." And then he kind of gives in, and they have a little bit of a brawl, and he's like, "But I can't do that." Well, you probably think if you're Gilbert, you know you're up two zero, yeah, or at least, and that's when the uppercut from hell yeah. comes out of nowhere, and knocks him on his ass, and he's like, "Oh shit." Um, ultimately, and then there's the cut above Diego's eyebrow that um, we've used this example before, but it looked like my man's zipper was undone. Yeah. Shout out to the doctor for letting it go. Yeah. You don't, sometimes you don't see that. Um, this fight is incredible. It's everything I could ever want in a fight. It's back and forth. It's nasty. It's, uh, it's fucking just action-packed um there's some showboat like the you know the, the guy you could tell the fighters just are like so into it when you see guys like beating their chest and like come on like every the showmanship whatever you want to call it um the clash of styles everything about this fight is why it's my favorite fight of all time i cannot say enough about it 
it's like it's I hate that it's like somewhat insignificant in the grand scheme of things. But man, this is such an underrated fight too, because again, it's the third fight of this card, of the main card of uh, 166, and it's also really like neither guy goes on to like. I mean, Gilbert does end up getting a title shot against Anthony Pettis, but um, really outside of that, you don't, you know. Because after this fight, he gets the title shot. I'm looking at it now. That was the very next fight? Yep. But uh, he loses that title shot in that in that fight with Pettis. Uh, never wins another fight. Oh. oh. Come again? He never won another fight in his career. He loses to Anthony Pettis, then Eddie Alvarez, then Edson Barboza, then Jeremy Stevens, and then Arnold Allen. What a killer's row. Yeah, that's <laughs> that ain't easy. They ain't no they ain't no walking apart, yeah, yeah. you know. But um, ultimately he does lose every single fight after that. This was his last win. Wow. And for Diego, I mean I'm pretty sure he has another fight booked this year. He does. He's fighting in like a week. Yeah, uh, he's fighting Jake Matthews on uh two fifty four, I believe. This freaking guy. The Boston kid. For Diego, he loses. What an OG! He loses this fight to Gilbert. He has another loss, uh, unanimous decision to Miles Jury. Then he beats Ross Pearson, loses to Ricardo Lamas, beats Jim Miller, loses to Joe Lozon at UFC 200. Um, just a crazy career he's had, but from the Ultimate Fighter season one, and he's still going. OG. And Joe Rogan said on the commentary of this fight, it was the best fight he had ever seen. I. Now, to Look, this day, I don't know if that still stands. I'd love to ask him. Yeah. Joe, we want you on the podcast. I mean, I if there's one fight, really this whole list, like the reason why I was so excited to make this list was so I could tell people about this fight. Oh, I'm sure it's oh, it's by far the most underrated on the whole it's list. It's the most on, on the whole list. I mean, you have a ton of title fights on here. You have a ton of high-profile matchups. This one kind of sticks out like a sore thumb and that it's neither of those in a way. But it is two guys who are legends of the sport who just put on beautiful chaos. And I'll leave it there because I feel like I'm kind of just repeating myself. But like, there's not enough words to describe how I feel about this fight. Please go watch it. If you're watching this, you've never seen it, please right now go watch it. Or even look up the damn four-minute clip that... Yeah, uh, even the highlights. Yeah, because we watched those before this too. Uh, but yeah, that's. I'll leave it there. Was there anything you wanted to say? That that was your baby. Uh, that look, was take the take the reins <laughs> on it. Number two, the most important fight in UFC history. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get Dom to put this at number one, but um, you'll see why it can't be. But number two, we're going back to April 9th, two thousand five. The oldest fight on this list. I just got chills. At the Cox Pavilion in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Ultimate Fighter Season 1 Finale. <laughs> you have what is the co-main <laughs> of this card behind Ken Shamrock, Rich Frank. Rich Ace, baby! <laughs> wow. You have two guys who are they're the last... They're the two finalists for the light heavyweight division 
uh, Ultimate Fighter trophy, I guess. Yeah, and Harley Davidson and six yeah. figure contract. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you have Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner. God, we just talked about this. On last we just talked episode. about this last Wednesday, and I'm going to talk about a lot of it again. I want to tell you guys, this is the most important fight in UFC history. And it, I cannot say, I can say with, with confidence, there will never be another fight more important than this one in the It single-handedly history. saved the UFC. Single-handedly saved the entire damn company. Donald. Two guys that had never even fought in the UFC before. Ever. Yeah. Saved the whole damn shit. Two unknowns. Look, man. Okay. Okay. All right. This fight's three rounds. <laughs> but imagine. It is a wild brawl of a fight. You have two guys that, again, never fought in UFC. They're not the most technical guys at this time. Right. Especially a guy like Forrest Griffin, who's always been kind of a brawler-style type thing. Stephen Bonner was always like a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And he goes, fuck it. Let's bang. He goes, I didn't hear no bell. Put the Dukes up. And uh, these two just back and forth for 15 minutes. I mean. Oh, man. You Backstory. All right. Again, the company, the UFC, is on the brink of going out of business, which basically spells an end for mixed martial arts in the United States, more than likely, at least for at the time. At that time. Um, I'm sure by now something would have came, but... You know, it's it, it definitely is not looking great for mixed martial arts in the States. The UFC decides we need to make a big move. Reality TV is big at the time. And to this day is still somewhat uh, relevant. They decide that they're going to make a reality show. But really the point of it is to show off, to showcase the up-and-coming talent to showcase the product that the UFC is putting out. So it's kind of like a it's a reality show but it's like disguised as a reality show, but really it's just to showcase the ultimate fighting championship. They pitch it to multiple execs of uh, different television networks. Uh, they get turned down whether because the company doesn't want to put the money up or because they don't think enough people are interested in the product. Um, regardless Nobody seems to want it. And then good old Spike TV agrees to take a meeting. The The exec holding the meeting is in Dodgers gear. He's rushing through the meeting because he wants to go to the game. He says, I don't think we're going to be able to do this. Uh, we can't agree to put up the money for it. Not sure if the viewership is there. Um, blah, blah, blah. Too much of a risk. That's a big risk for these major yeah, networks. Yeah, and it's understandable, right? UFC goes, Dana White and the Fertitta Brothers are like, we'll put up every dollar. Every dollar that went into airing this show was out of the U- of season one was out of the UFC's pocket. All Spike TV has to does is just air it. And they agree. Now, they're not out of the woods yet. Sure, they're on national TV, but now they have to pull through. Now they have to really land this. Season one is a success. You get to see all these fighters' personalities, guys that we still talk about today. Awesome. Chris Levin, Josh Koscheck, 
Um, Diego Sanchez, obviously, Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner. Kenny Florian. Kenny Florian. The Mike, list goes on. Mike Swick. Yeah. Um, just a laundry list of um, guys that you remember from that show. But Spike TV's not sold on picking it up for season two. So the finale is going to be big for this. Um, if the finale viewership pulls through, because normally your highest viewed episodes of a season are the premiere and the finale. They're like, okay, we'll agree to pick it up for season two, but you really have to pull through here. Well, our middleweight, uh, middleweight ultimate fighter, um, what do you, trophy or in the six figure contract, the, the finale of that division you see Diego Sanchez dominate Kenny Florian in less than three minutes. So Dana White's like, shit. Like, shit. He's like, we might be screwed. In comes the co-main Forrest Griffin, Stephen Bonner, and they just put on a all-time classic uh, storybook ending with... Um, Ultimately, Forrest gets the unanimous decision win. Both guys are a bloody mess. They're tired. They're, they just are, and obviously, Stefan Bonner not getting the win. He's devastated. Dana comes in, and he's like, congratulations to Forrest Griffin, six-figure contract, gives it to him, and he goes, and that fight was so amazing that we're going to give Stefan Bonner a six-figure contract as well. And the whole crowd goes nuts. Nothing's better than seeing Bruce's yep. reaction in yep. the octagon when and that happened. Again, I, I said this on Wednesday. If you put this in a movie, people would go, well, that's kind of cheesy. But it really happened. It saved. It the saved the company. This was the UFC's first ever live event on cable television. Yep. All their other events before this was on pay-per-view. Yep. Meaning that you had to buy it. Meaning that you had to be somewhat passionate and enjoy the sport. Now this leads me into this point right here. Mm-hmm. Being that it was free on cable television, casual fans got to tune in, and that's where it all started. Not Now not only do you have your passionate fans, now you have people that said, Holy shit! Did you just see this fight? They're calling their friends. Yeah. They weren't texting at the time. Or if they were, they were on the flippity flip. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, dude, have you ever heard of the UFC? You guys got to watch this. Let's get the pay-per-view next week. A domino effect. Boom, 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 boom. Here we are today. Yeah. The fastest growing sport we've ever seen. And Especially this, at a global and level. And this fight, this I'm fight not being dramatic it. when this I say this. This fight did it. Whew. Anyways. You made a great point. I was going to mention that about... At this time, you have to understand that it's not like today where you have social media, things are trending. Sure, if this event aired today, maybe you'd see hashtag Ultimate Fighter Finale trending. And you'd go, huh, what is that? Let me turn that on. Plus, there's so much shit on TV today. And now you got Netflix, Hulu, like all the streaming platforms. Um, it, it would be pretty inconceivable for this kind of thing to work today. But at this time, no social media to speak of, really. Maybe MySpace is kicking around somewhere. 
people are literally watching this fight at home and they're like, this is fucking nuts. They're calling their During friends. the first round, they're calling on their fucking landline. Like Dana not their, said, not even their Dana cell phone. said, like, you could tell, like, you're looking at, like, the viewership. It's kind of like, you know, it's going, it's going. And then it just shoot skyrockets. Turn on Spike TV right now. Turn yeah. it on, turn it on. Like, there's this fighting thing happening. I don't know yeah. what's happening. They're but just punching each other, and it's really cool. Yeah. The rest is history. There, there weren't these... Like, right, we had the Chuck Liddell, we had the Titos. Sure. But there weren't casual fans that could just flip the TV on and see them. Mm-hmm. They had to buy the pay-per-views and all this stuff. Nowadays, we've got the Conor McGregor's, the Jorge Masvidal's. Yeah, they fight on pay-per-views. But it's so much easier to see the fight and, like, to pull casual viewers in now in the time and day and age that we're in with technology, social media, is so much easier. So then being able to get this fan base, and now I'd say nearly every casual that was a casual fan then has stuck with the sport ever since. And now they're hardcore fans. Exactly. I mean, in a lot of ways, I know you were really young at the time, but you were... A casual fan for a long time but look at you now you stuck with it your love for it grew as you got older and now you have a podcast dedicated to it yeah couldn't put I, it any better and friend. I mean I don't want to overlook the actual fight itself because it's incredible uh, again recommend anybody to go watch it obviously it might look somewhat dated now because it happened 15 years ago. Listen. But, dude, you cannot say, like, when you watch that, after what we just told you went into it, there's no way you don't watch that and you just pump your fist in the air. Just if, like, If there's any fight out of these top ten that we want you to go watch as soon as you get done listening to this, it's this one. It's this one in Melendez Diego. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. But, yeah, I, it, no doubt, right? And uh, I guess that's where we'll leave it for that one. I think we did a good job on that one. That won't be the last time that fight's mentioned. Oh, number one. Number one. I mean. Was there really any other option? Well, besides me saying number two maybe should have been. But... Well, the fa- my favorite part was you kind of sat there and you're like, wait. I can't Okay, actually... so I, okay, I said what... I guess, kind of a, I guess it's kind of a, a feisty. I guess it's kind of a hot take. I didn't think it was. I rewatched this fight, and I've seen it a few times now. Look, I Robbie Lawler might be my favorite fight. He's him and Stipe are my top two fighters of all time. I think Robbie Lawler is the fucking man. If you watch this fight, the first like two rounds or so is pretty, meh. It is what it is. It's guys feeling each other out. Not a ton happens. You know? And I and I guess that's like a hot take because Dom shat on me for it. I was just shocked when you said it. Well, I'm... I, I really shocked. No, me. I mean, I'm just saying it's, it is what it is. Like, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying those first two, two and a half rounds, is it the best fight of all... Like, the first half of the fight, is it the fight of... The, the the number one fight of all time? No. It's not. It just isn't. But then, <laughs> those final two and a half rounds, things pick up. And not just do they pick up, but... God, man. These two guys... This fight literally potentially ended both of their careers. 
<laughs> Not really, but you get my point, right? Like this, this fight is violence. It is the epitome of violence. It's the personification. I heard that if you look up the word violence in Webster's Dictionary, <laughs> there's a picture of this fight. It's actually the picture on the thumbnail. Yeah, I want to let you take like take it for a minute because I just kind of gave my little hot take there. But uh, again, it's number one. This is just uh... okay. We're talking about a guy in Robbie Lawler that was written off. Yes, this guy should have never been a champion. Yeah. UFC champion? <laughs> he went um not didn't even have a five hundred record in strike force. Guy, UFC champion. He was looked at as like a, a prospect that never realized his potential. This fight was the first title defense of the most legendary, most unexpected, and we've mentioned this, title, run, and reign we have ever seen in UFC history. The most underrated title reign ever. Robbie, ruthless, Robbie Lawler. Remember, this is the guy that said uh, he doesn't fight people to hurt them. Or yeah, he's, yeah. He said he uh, he fights them to take their soul. That's what Robbie chills. Lawler said. Literal chills. Yeah. Literally had to sit down. Yeah, and that guy's allowed to punch people in an octagon for a living. So this happens July 11, twenty fifteen, at the MGM Grand in Las Look Vegas. Look at this card. Tell him UFC one eighty nine. We talked about this on Wednesday. Because this is the card that's headlined by Chad Mendez and Conor McGregor. It's the first card of the Reebok deal. It's the new era in the sport, as I was calling it at that time. You have Conor, who's officially given the reins here. Co-maining is this yeah. fight with Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald. Rory, another guy, excuse me. <laughs> Rory being another guy who... He was a huge prospect for the UFC early on. And he's from Canada. So he well, they looked, looked at, at him as like that next dude the from The next GSP, GSP yeah. is what I was going to say. And he... This is the second time they have fought. They fought as basically a number one contender fight for Johnny Hendricks. And Robbie won that fight. Yeah. That was Robbie's, I believe... Second fight back in the I UFC after the a win one. over Matt Brown, I believe. I could be wrong on that. that. That might be wrong. Actually, I think that is wrong. That's but okay. It is what it is. And a lot of people thought Rory was going to win that first fight. Somehow, Robbie pulls it out. So you have this rematch, and Rory looks incredible early on. Really sticking to that t- a technical game plan. Really Kicks. just neutralizing most of what Robbie has to offer. Robbie looks a little gun-shy early on. But then when he starts landing, it's you could tell right away it's hurting, Rory. Mm-hmm. You see the damage to the nose starting to... Yeah. As a, that kind of played a factor. Yeah. Um, violence is the best way to put it. You look at the the picture in the thumbnail of this fight is the end of round four. That's got to be one of the most legendary... I want that as a poster. Stare down. That's probably the best stare down in the So UFC. round four ends, and, norm, and you know... The ref steps in and is like, all right, back to your corners. These two guys just sit there and stare at each other. Big John's like, uh. <laughs> you can see it in the picture. He looks a little awkward. Uh, he's like, guys. He's like, uh, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, Security. <laughs> they literally sit there and stare at each other like, you go back to your corner. No. Like, no, you. 
you. Yeah. Which that sounds a little weird saying <laughs> it like that, but ultimately, like it's it's like these two guys weren't ready to be done. They're that like, fourth round might be one of the best rounds. Yeah, I've ever. No, it, in it, my it, life. by far. Like it's 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 actual violence. <laughs> Both guys landing huge shots. They both look like they were just in a massive and, car crash. And literally, um, in between the fourth and fifth, Faraz Zahavi's uh, talking to Rory, and he goes, five more minutes and you're a champion. Five more minutes and you're a champion. Fifth round happens. Ravi might be down here. He might be down on the scorecards. I feel that I had scored it that way. Yeah. yeah. Like three one, like he has to get a finish here to keep that. Belt. As great as the fight was, by yeah, the way. super competitive. No, obviously. of course. That fifth round happens, and you see these guys have been have brought each other to the brink of just death. Basically. Oh man, Robbie lands some crazy right hands. One lands right on the nose. Rory's nose instantly shatters, and you see. A very unique finish because Rory was not not knocked. He wasn't knocked out. It wasn't knocked out. It was just he literally couldn't take any more punishment. He he stood there for a second, like yeah. getting ready yeah. to engage again, and he's like, "Ow, my nose is shattered." His nose shattered. He he covered up immediately and just yeah. dropped. So, Ro- so Robbie, like, that on, was it. On the, on the, I can't imagine the pain. On the cusp of defeat, Robbie digs deep and just lands oh. some hard shots, really showing that champion mentality, like going in there and finishing the damn thing. It was like the Mortal Kombat. It was like finish him. Yeah. And Robbie's like, all, all right. right. <laughs> so. And then you even see, once the fight stopped, the trainer comes over, the medic, and they're like, t- they're helping Rory. And you see Rory like struggling to kind of like sit up, and you just see blood just, just oh, yeah. pouring out of his nose. Meanwhile, Robbie's lip is split into two pieces. Split into two pieces. Worse than. Eh. Nah, I wouldn't say it's worse than Overeem, but it's it's more. <sighs> I'd love to see a side by side. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see that, but. Um, all in all, Robbie's uh, yelling and his lips going. Yeah, it's flapping. So the post fight, uh, obviously Robbie's announced as the winner. Joe Rogan comes in, he's like, "Wow," <laughs> and Robbie's like, he just goes off. Well, his coaches lift him up, and he does that like pointing at the ground. They're like, and still. his lips like, <laughs> and he's, he's like, like pointing. Still. At the, yeah, man. And um, he's like, "I'm a fighter. I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm gonna keep coming." And I won't be beat, basically, kind of thing he does. And um, it's it, the fans are just loving every second of it because that dude's like, he's ready to keep going. He's so, like, hyped up. This is the most violent fight we've ever seen. Ever. And in a lot of ways, it might not have been for the best for either of the... I, I think Rory has said as much that um, this fight, uh, he I believe he said the way he fought was a mistake. Oh, a fight like this has to. He said, take. like he feels like this fight neutralized a lot of where his career is now. Now he's in Bellator. Um, he's done great over there, but you know, considering where he was supposed to be as the next GSP, maybe disappointing. He's and he's still only like thirty-one. Yeah, like I don't want to say Isn't that crazy. I mean, there's still a chance maybe he comes back to the UFC someday. Maybe he doesn't, but. Um, 
on the other end, you have Ravi, who this was, uh, um, I'm sure you were going to mention this, this was fight of the year for 2015. The, the first of two, back-to-back. Then A fight, by the way, that could have been on this list. Yeah, his next fight, one that I was actually pushing for, like I said, was him versus Carlos Condit that won fight of the year for 2016. Another really close decision this time. Um, Robbie pulls out the win. Another fight that's just chaos and guys just digging deep and hitting each other with everything they have. Not as bloody, not as violent, but and then you see his fight. Robbie's next title defense is against Tyron Woodley, and he gets knocked out in two minutes. Yeah. So, needless to say, this fight, its impact on the sport, its impact on its fighters, will forever be felt. Oh yeah. On the sport, obviously, in a positive way. But on its fighters, possibly negative. I'd say if you asked, like, ten MMA gurus or, like, reporters, I'd say eight out of ten would probably say this is number one. I just don't, like, okay, what you were saying earlier is, like, I kind of said my little hot take. I said, like, the first half of this fight's kind of unremarkable. Not shitting on him, just saying it is what it is. It's just a... It's a decent fight, but it's nothing special. And then I was like, that's why I don't know if it should be number one. I'm like, maybe Griffin and Bonner because of how impact, like, the impact it had. And then I went, hmm. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I, I don't think I can do that. I, like, I legit just talked myself out of it in my own head, like, instantly as soon as I said it. Like, if someone that's never watched the UFC before said, show me the best fight in UFC history. I'm like, all right. Sit down. Grab a beer. I'm going to throw on Robbie Lawler, Roy McDonald, too. It's absolute chaos. It's violence. It's beautiful chaos, as I keep saying. And it's the fact that it was a five-round title fight speaks even more to both guys. You see Rory trying to withstand the punishment to become a champion, to realize that potential. And you see Robbie trying so hard not to have that belt taken from him. You knew how badly he wanted it. How yeah. hard he worked to earn it. Because you saw that fifth And he round, was not just going to give it up. You would have round, to kill him. That fifth round was just... For him to just come out and be like, I'm the champion. I'm the champion. Whew. It's the best fight of all time. And it won't be top for a very long time. If it is, I can't wait to see that. <laughs> exactly. And that's it. Yeah, it feels like a... Exhale. I'm a little tired after doing that. Man, that's... That's our that's top a... top ten UFC fights of all time. I'm happy with the list. I really am. Especially once we got going talking about it. I feel like I couldn't really move anything around. We hope our amazing community enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, this was for you guys. Uh, I've been requested multiple times. Um, I hope that you, this is something that you guys enjoyed. Um, we've enjoyed making it. Did not enjoy as much the as hard as it is building it. <laughs> um, I, it'll be interesting to revisit this. Maybe, hopefully, years down the line. <laughs> right. See how things change and whatnot, but for now, I'm very confident this is the top ten for us. Let us know. Joe's top ten, and let us know what some of your favorite fights of all time are, 
or even go back and watch some of these that we told you about. Let us know what you think. Do you think the first half of Lawler and McDonald's is unremarkable, or do you think I'm crazy? And you know how they can let us know? How? They can record a voice message <laughs> with our sponsor, Anchor, that we could throw in a future episode to let our fans know. Well, I think that's a great segue into uh, Dom. Where can they find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at dcelee 14 As always, the best Instagram account there is. Eh, I'm just tooting our own horn. <laughs> anyway, follow us at below average Joe's underscore podcast. Look for us on all major listening platforms for podcasts. Spotify, Apple, Google. Go to Anchor, visit our website, give us a look. Uh, we just have a lot of links nowadays. <laughs> we really do. But I'm so happy with it. So thankful to you all. Another thank you to everybody. And a big thank you to Anchor, today's sponsor. As for me, well, before that, the rest of the week. Oh, man. I always forget That's that. That's two episodes in a row we've done. Friday. Uh, Woo! No, wait a second here. I gotta stand. You gotta stand? We're talking... Best fight night of the year. This is the most stacked fight night that's ever been made. Ever, Dom. This is free. Well. Well. <laughs> this is basically free. <laughs> <laughs> With five for four ninety nine a month, you can watch these fights. Be sure to subscribe to ESPN Plus today. <laughs> Overall, Listen. It's Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley. Two and a half years in the making. Go on. <laughs> Words aren't coming out. My hands. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, 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 uh. Co-main. <laughs> tell him. Tell him. Tell him or I'll tell him. Cow- it's Cowboy Cerrone. Donald Cap. Nico Price. Donald Cap. Who he's else had, is on there? He's had a baby. Hazmat Chimaev. <laughs> Gerald Mirchart. The, the hottest prospect in the UFC right now. Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann. Your boy. You're a Johnny boy. Right, safe to say. Johnny boy. Big fight for him. It is. And Big I, fight for Ryan. And, and I'm, ugh. And isn't the other fight uh, Darren Stewart, Kevin Holland? Yes, that's the opener. That's the opener. Mackenzie Dern, Ronda Marcos. Oh my God, I forgot about Mackenzie Dern. <laughs> this fight night's insane. This is a fight night. And we get to preview all of it on Friday. Get ready. And Monday... We will recap all of that. Listen, on Friday when y'all tune into this, get comfy. Bruh. Whether you got a long drive, you're getting off work, lay down, grab a beer, grab a a bottle of water, whatever you choose. Get a good dinner. Yeah. Throw this on. You're not going to want to miss it. This is a fight night. This is the last fight night before we go to Fight Island for the next month. What a way to end... UFC Vegas is run. Well, it's not over completely, but you know what I'm saying. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at mtbaker underscore. If you go to my bio (laughs) on both of those, uh, there's a link to our link tree, which will give you links. Yes. (laughs) I need to find a much better way to to illustrate that. It quite honestly is a link with links. It is a link to links to all of our major platforms we're on. Now, the link's included can become a supporter 
right. a monthly contribution to support the podcast for the future. Sure. Spotify, mm-hmm. Apple, yep. Google, uh-huh. our Anchor website, yeah. where you can leave the voice messages, uh-huh. YouTube, mm-hmm. our Roots, and of course our Instagram. Yeah. And all that, you find me on ntbaker underscore. And with that, we're out. And we're going to see you all on Friday.